Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and to provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to the show. On this episode, we are looking to take a dive into what I would consider to be the most rewarding part of following Jesus on this earth. The benefits to following Jesus, of course, are numerous and they are incredible. They are far-reaching and extensive and eternal. In addition to that, of course, the best part about following Jesus is that we get to follow and be with Jesus. We get to worship him, we get to celebrate him, we get to love him because of his love for us, and we get to serve him. But so much of what I have just mentioned takes place within a specific context more directly. Now, worshiping Jesus and celebrating him and loving him and serving him is by no means just confined to this context alone, but it is one of the best places to engage in these things. What we are talking about today is the church. And what I would love to do over the next about 20 minutes is answer a trifecta of questions that need to be asked when talking about the church. But before we get started there, I want to remind us and establish for us that these are not questions of preference or bias. These are not questions that need to be asked based on what denomination you are, or what non-essential nuance of the church that you attend, or that you have had experience within holds. These are questions that need to be asked for every church. This is just intended to look at the church. And so here's how we'll phrase this. When it comes to the church, I need to consider... When it comes to the church, I need to consider the question, whose is it? Whose is it? There's a very old and trite saying that gained some notoriety during the infamous Hatfield-McCoy feud. The pig that then reignited that bloody feud 13 years later was the center piece of this issue. The saying was brought up that, quote, possession is nine-tenths of the law. The concept there is that the person in possession of something is the presumed owner of it unless someone can definitively prove otherwise. For perspective, if you were to leave your home in a real nice pair of shoes, you'll get looks. You may even get compliments. But few, if anyone, is asking you if they belong to you. The presumption is made that they are yours because you are in possession of them. People aren't asking if you borrowed them from a roommate or secretly took them from a sibling's closet, so our tendency is to lean into that, especially when it comes to the church. We have it. We're in it. We built it. We serve in it. We give money to it. It must be ours. But God has definitive proof that it's his. It's always been his. It always will be his. From its start to its end, it will always, only, exclusively have one creator, sustainer, empowerment, owner, and king, and it's Jesus. There will never be another one that can claim that title. 
So when that predisposition to lean into that false sense of ownership mentality comes up, we need to take a look at the testimony and we need to examine the proof. Jesus created and claims ownership of his church. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 18, Jesus says, in response to Peter's claim about who Jesus is, he says, upon this rock, upon myself, upon the truth of that statement, upon me being the Christ, the son of the living God, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus did not leave the foundation to debate. Jesus did not leave the title up for grabs. He would be the foundation. He would be the edifice. And from start to finish, it would be his. Jesus left the empowering agent for the activity of the church. Both John in his testimony of Jesus and Luke in his testimony of the Acts of the Apostles tell of how Jesus left the Holy Spirit to empower his church and guide them in the truth. Jesus provided the payment for his church. His death purchased the church. It says of him that he purchased it with his own blood. He created it and owns it, but then he places that cosmic exclamation point on it when he dies for it, when his blood is shed for it. But also Jesus stands at the head of his church. In Colossians 1 verse 18, this is a letter that is written to churches in the region of Colossae, and he writes this letter and he tells them to not forget and to not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the head of the church. And it emphasizes that he is the only one worthy of the worship, the fellowship, and the service of the church. And the overly repetitive point that I am unapologetically striving to get across is that the church is God's. Jesus is the sole proprietor, the only builder, the lone financier, and the unrivaled leader and king. It's his. When it comes to the church, I need to consider whose is it? When it comes to the church, I need to consider the question, what is it? And one of the best ways, in my opinion, to look at what it is, is to take some time looking at the antithesis, what it is not. On the last episode, we briefly talked about a few potential responses that you might get to the question, what is the gospel, that unfortunately are just not true. But when people talk about the church, it's a lot, a lot of the same. You can get answers that run the gamut from both followers of Jesus and Christians, as well as people who may have never stepped foot in church before and everyone in between, and surprisingly, they're not as diametrically opposed as we might think. At the end of the day, they're all wrong, though, meaning that they are altogether incorrect, incomplete, insufficient, or incompatible with the plan that God set out for his church. You may hear something like, church is just like a country club membership, and all they care about is money. Church is just like a museum where they only care about the biggest, the best, the most, and the nicest. 
church is just all politics and organized religion. Church is just about telling me all the things that I can't do. Church is just a trendy social club with a motivational TED Talk and a concert. These are all things that I've personally heard and maybe in your lifetime you've heard or perhaps even thought or claimed one or two of them yourself. And I want to say this and be super clear about it. If for any of these reasons, any one of these reasons or more of them or maybe even something worse that's not mentioned is your experience with church, if it's your paradigm on the church because that's what you were told or that's what a friend of yours went through, I'm not about justifying that. I am not about excusing it, and I am not about agreeably ignoring it. But what I am about is making crystal clear that that is not how it is supposed to be. That is not what Jesus intended. Along the way, imperfect people got involved and turned it into something ugly. The church is not full of perfect people who always get it right. In fact, it's full of imperfect people who oftentimes just miss it. It's full of sick, hurting, aching, wounded, and hungry beggars. So if that's what it's not, then what is it? The church is a living, breathing, forward-moving, and progressing organism that is designed by God for the carrying out of his plan to reach the nations and to be known in all the earth. We'll get more into this in just a moment, but at a simplistic base, this is what the church is. When it comes to the church, I need to consider whose is it, what is it, and when it comes to the church, I need to consider the question, why does it exist? The mission is important for any organization, any institution, any venture, and I would purport that any marriage, any family, any team, any individual, your why is so important. And I'm going to share a mission statement with you. It's not original with me. It is not overly unique. It is not new. It is not specific to simply one church. It is, however, very clear and it is very concise, and it really encompasses what God intended for his church. It says nothing about perfect people. It says nothing about politics. It says nothing about a social club. It says nothing about preferences. It says nothing about money. And I say all that because it's so vital to note that God never claimed a single one of those things as a reason why the church exists. And so here it is. The church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. So let's talk about each of those phrases. The church exists to glorify God at the end of the day, at the start of the day, and all throughout the day. It exists always, only, and exclusively for the glory of God. What that means is that it is designed to ascribe worth to God. It is designed to magnify the view of God. It is designed to increasingly elevate our need for God. 
glorifying God as a friend of mine has said numerous times is not about giving God something that he wouldn't have otherwise. I'm not giving God something that he has less of if I don't give it. I'm just giving God something that he is rightfully worthy of receiving. Worship and glory in song, in prayer, in generosity, in preaching and teaching and in community. The church, though, is not about me and it's not about you. It's not about seeing friends. The church is about God. It's for God. It's because of God and only God. If that has not been our view or experience with church, if that has not been our view or experience with church, hear me, then we have been wrong or we have been wronged because this is why it exists. So the church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Jesus lived and taught and served and reached so many. And then he died and was raised to life, never to die again. And alive, he told 11 of the 12 people that had dedicated three plus years of their life to following him, I have something for you to do until I come back. He said, based on the authority that I have as Jesus, God in the flesh, the only conqueror of death, the only son of God, from that place of authority, I am commissioning you to go and make disciples, baptize those disciples, and then continue to make more disciples and better ones. Not disciples or followers of you not people that would endear themselves to you, not people that would entrust their lives to you or the pastor or the church brand, not people that would worship you, but for me, for my name, for my glory, for my worship, and don't stop until I return and time is no more. And they would take that commission and they would take it seriously empowered by Jesus through the spirit and 12 would become 500, 500, 3000, then 8,000 and millions. And now today, maybe even 1 billion disciples of Jesus, not perfect people, not ones that get it right all the time, just people that want to follow Jesus. It exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. A well-educated man approached Jesus one day and said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And as a brief, brief background, this wasn't a question-seeking knowledge. It was one that was to be used to trick Jesus into saying something they didn't agree with so that they could then hold him accountable for what he had said. Also, it's important to note two things. Greatest in this context means the most important meaning what is the one commandment that we should obey above all of them? Secondly, there were about 613 commandments that this man would have had in his mind, and he's asking Jesus to just pick one that's the most important. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom and his knowledge of the word that he wrote, says, Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says that's the first one. 
that's the greatest one. That's the one that you can't get wrong. That's the one that we can't miss. That's the one that we really need to make sure we've got down because nothing comes before it and nothing takes its place. And in the very next breath, he then goes a step further and he says the second one, not that you asked or that you cared, but for good measure, he says, basically, the second one is like this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the great commandment is to love God and love others. And so in that spirit, with that attitude, from that mindset, he says, love God first, love him foremost. And then the presumption is made that is easy to miss unless we're looking for it. He says to love others as you love yourself. Not if you love yourself, not when you love yourself, not if you're accepting of yourself, not if you have chosen to live in what you would consider to be your truth. You already love yourself. It's not a secret. It's not a mystery. You and I already love ourselves and we love ourselves way too much. And Jesus says, love others the same way. And so in that spirit, with that attitude, from that mindset, all of this together is why the church exists. We glorify and worship God. We tell people about him, about the good news of Jesus, about the gospel, like we talked about on last episode. And we tell everyone because we love them the same way we love ourselves. There are no outsiders, no misfits, no one unworthy to hear it. No top shelf. If you're a fan of Toy Story 2, you know what I'm talking about. We're just sick, hurting, aching, wounded, and hungry beggars. And we're just trying to tell other beggars where we found some medicine, some relief, some care, some love, and most of all, some bread. This is the church. Hear me here. If your church experience involves hurt, lies, judgment, betrayal, or even hypocrisy, if no one has told you, let me be the first to say sincerely from the bottom of my heart, I am sorry. I'm so sorry because that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not what Jesus intended for his church. Maybe you've been listening and you grew up in church and you love it. And to be honest, you don't really even know a life without it. That's great. But don't forget whose it is and don't forget why it exists. I want to connect with you. I'm serious about the title of this episode. Please tell me about your church. Why do you love your church? Why did you leave your church? I started this podcast so I could connect with people, and that's what I'm hoping to do. So thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell me about it. 
You can connect with me at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. Also, please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review and click on that subscribe button or follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. As you head into your week, as you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face, or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace and know that no matter what, it is always, every single time, greater.